no introduction at Urshan. He's one of the favorites that have come and ministered here several times. Church planter, preacher, man of God from Orlando, Florida, Brother Victor Jackson. Let's make him feel welcome. Let's stand as we do. Clap our hands to the Lord one more time. I, amen. I am uh, so touched um, by the opportunity to get to speak to you and the hunger that uh, I have felt here and such amazing uh, sessions. Thank you, Brother Colthorpe. Thank you, Brother McClintock. Can't wait to hear Brother Jones this evening. These great men of God. And I love how the messages have uh, complemented one another. Uh, these are such important things that they addressed and very practical and uh, able to apply it readily. Amen. Apply that as soon as you can. Apply that in your Bible study. You know, one of the best best places to practice a sermon is with a Bible study. And uh, and at least if you fail, you know you fell in front of three people. Amen. My my first Bible studies. Uh, I mean, like I said, I do, I do have like one or two of them saved to video, and uh, just any time I want to just you know uh, crucify myself, uh, I'll go watch one of those videos and see <laughs> if you can use anything, Lord. <laughs> you can use me. Uh, my Bible studies were just, you know, I, I, I stuttered. Uh, at the time, I had only been in church for uh, eight weeks and um, didn't have the courage to teach until I love what Brother McClintock said and Brother Colthorpe reiterated this, is that the scripture uh, being the benchmark and, you know, the foundation of everything. And I remember when I got saved, I was in church for about a week or two and heard what was being preached and everything like that. And I said, man, I'm not going to uh, commit to a man-made doctrine. I've got to study this out for myself. So I did a hundred page research on oneness Pentecostalism, printed out a hundred pages, got my highlighter out, got my notepad out, did a deep study on oneness Pentecostalism, trying to find a shink in the armor, trying to find something off. And after a hundred pages and studying that for about a week and a half, I closed my study. I said, the only way for me to disagree with this apostolic doctrine is I'd have to disagree with the word of God. And I'm not going to disagree with the word of God. So I'm selling out. <laughs> if you make the scripture your foundation no one can talk you out of it 
friends can leave. Uh, Your doctrine isn't connected to a peer group where if my peers stop believing, then, well, I stop believing too. No, it's like, hey, y'all can do what you want. I've already settled this thing in my heart. I've already settled this thing in my spirit. Amen. And uh, all I knew was doctrine. All I knew was one God, baptism, repentance, Holy Ghost. And I... Before I taught my Bible study, I about two weeks prior, I, I took out my little diamond earrings. Y'all not hearing me out there, y'all. Took out my my Jesus Peace medallion. I said, probably won't need this anymore, you know. And all I had that was holy was my basketball warm-ups. And that's just long sleeve pants. Because I wore like a tank top and Jordan shorts every day. And my first Bible study, it's in the heat of summer. I got that thing zipped all the way up. Y'all not hearing me out there. I'm sweating. And I'm like, y'all, 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 tell me. God is good, right? You know? <laughs> I found those filler words very early. God is good, right? You know, anytime I stuttered or messed up, God is good, right? But yeah. And I just read my Bible studies word for word and and uh, had the handouts. And after months of teaching Bible studies like that, I remembered the material uh, so well and did more study in it. I, I didn't need those handouts anymore. I mean, if however you start, start in the word. God's spirit and God's word will help you and strengthen you on your journey. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 1. And um, if you don't know where that is, just grab your book and turn left a few pages. And, and um, It's where we all start in January. And this is about the time y'all struggling in Leviticus. and <laughs> That's where you feel led to go in another direction. You know, I'm going to just study the New Testament. I'm just. <laughs> Amen. Just start feeling led, huh? Just getting into the unclean and clean and all, all the extra stuff and the fabrics and but what's beautiful about it is what, what did he say? All scripture is, is inspired by God and so somewhere it connects you just haven't found it yet but it connects to the overall th- theme of what God um, is wanting to speak thank you for having me love this wonderful body and uh, just I'm, I'm going to try to talk to you. We'll see what happens. Amen. I might, I might get excited. I don't know. Uh, Genesis, cha- Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit 
of God moved upon the face of the waters. And that's the only scriptures I gave him, but I'll just read verse 3 as well. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And we're going to spend the bulk of our time in these scriptures, and I want to teach and talk and preach and, and yell and whisper and everything imaginable, I guess. We'll see. On, on the subject, the birthplace of a sermon. The birthplace of a sermon. Uh, can you lay your Bibles down? Everyone close your eyes, lift up your hands, and let's ask God to have his way. Lord Jesus, thank you for all the teachers, all the professors, all the faculty represented it. Every leader, every young person, everyone with a desire to please you. Take over this message, Lord. Help me to follow your will. You are the vine and we are the branches. Nothing without you. Thank you for the word that we heard. Let us fall in love with your word all over again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. birthplace of a sermon. When people read Genesis 1 and 1, it could be argued that it is one of the most overlooked scriptures in the Bible. And it all could also be argued that it is one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. It's amazing how we many times overlook what is most important. And it looks like the perfect way to start a book, looks like the perfect way in the beginning, almost like the fictional stories once upon a time. Uh, but when you really look at Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. These are really warfare terms. Because everything around Moses was, he was surrounded by a polytheistic society, worshiping multiple gods, worshiping multiple false gods, and he is surrounded by a society where everyone believes that there is more than one God. The concept of one God is foreign to this time. No one in the world believed that there was one God. So this concept had to be established from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so polytheistic religions were all around uh, Moses, and they're all worshiping multiple gods, and they are worshiping um, 
gods that they, that they can see. They're worshiping the sun god, the moon god, the star god. They're worshiping the grass god, the, the tree god, the fish god. They are worshiping the heavens, uh, and they are worshiping the earth. And so Moses wanted to establish very quickly, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In other words, what you are worshiping, my God created that. My God is greater than your false God. My God is greater than your tree God. My God is greater than your sun God. My God is greater than the star God. He is greater than the sun God Ra. He is greater than the darkness. He is greater than anything that you can imagine. And my God is the author of the inferior things that you're worshiping. And I'm going to give you your God's background. And how your God was born. Are you hearing me? I cradled your little false God. And I, are you getting it? He is showing that he is the father over all creation. That he is, that he is the God that created everything. And to worship anything but him is to reduce yourself to nothing because you have been made in his image. And he is greater than anything that you can imagine. And he is introducing a God that is greater than anything thing that you can imagine or, or decipher or discover, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He does not give God's background. He is from everlasting to everlasting. You, you, you don't have the consciousness to understand God's background. He's, he's in eternity. And he's like, you're in time, so I'm going to just give you what you can understand in time. You're false gods. And let me tell you what I did. I said, let there be. And, and he even personifies the, the uh, heavens and the earth when he says, these are the generations of the heaven and earth. Everywhere in the Genesis is the book of generations. It's always with people. It's always with people. But here God personifies the heavens and earth and says, these are the generations of the heaven and earth. They were, I told them, now bring forth creeping things. Is that powerful? One God. Everyone say one God. It, it, that, that concept is foundational to understanding the Bible. If you, don't under, if you don't have that understanding, you can't understand Scripture. Because the whole point of Scripture is to introduce you and bring you into relationship with that one God. Can you clap your hands to the Lord? All right. And, and so The concept of one God was foreign. Not only was it foreign, but it was also foreign to believe in a God that you cannot see. That is more trustworthy than any of the false gods that you can see. Everybody thought that the Israelites were crazy. <laughs> like, Abraham's hearing the voice of God tell him to leave his whole inheritance in Mesopotamia. He's like, where, where are you going? Oh, God spoke to me. To leave. Now, 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 where is he? Can you, can, 
Can I see them? You know, they had the shrines. You know, they had. Where, where is he? Can I hold them? Oh, no, 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 you can't see my God. See, that's normal now. But back then, he's like, dude, this guy is out there. A God that you cannot see, that is more trusted than any false gods that you can see. He's given an introduction. Given the introduction of God, and I want to go somewhere here because he is showing God as contrasted to everything around him in his region. And that God is very different from what society thinks that God is. God is a God of integrity. And integrity just means the state of being one. The only way God could be trusted is if he's one. God cannot be trusted if he's not one. If you got to pray a prayer and you got to say, well, well, hold on, I got to talk to the Father today and hold on, I got to see if he got permission from the Son and got to see if they got permission from the Holy Ghost and they got to have a counseling session and, oh, God didn't hear my prayer. And the Father says, well, excuse me, you know, the Son kind of did his own thing and we're going to have to have another committee meeting. No, uh, God can only be trusted because he's one. You don't have to pray to an alternate reality or, or another, the universe or anything like that that you can go to God himself and he says, I swear by myself that I will bless you and there would have to be an error in me for the word of God to not come to pass in your life. But so shall my word be which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper. Amen. Amen. So we have to understand it, that the, that the concept of one God, it is, it is th all throughout the pattern of, of Scripture. It is all throughout the pattern of what God is trying to get accomplished from the Old uh, and the New Testament. You take that out. Uh, you cannot understand the revelation uh, of what God did for you. Uh, you can't understand the revelation of what was accomplished uh, on the cross for you. Uh, those are non-negotiable. You cannot properly discern the scripture if you don't get a revelation that it was the mighty God in Christ. This is more than just an elementary introduction to a message. This is the birthright of your ministry. This is the birthplace of a sermon. If you're going to rightly divide the word of truth, you've got to get a death grip on the oneness of God and understand that if I let this go, all I got left is delusion. That's important. Amen. It's important. As a matter of fact, so important. Every New Testament author wrote with a strict monotheistic uh, background. They only wrote within the 
confines of understanding that Jesus is God. Any time that you see the word Lord in the proper context, the word Lord, the Greek word in the New Testament, the Koine Greek, the word Lord, it literally is kurios, which is translated as Lord, Master, Sir, or Jehovah. And Jehovah is the name of the one God of the Old Testament, the creator of the world. And you would be amazed at how many times the disciples looked at Jesus and said, Jehovah, oh God. And in context, sometimes it meant Lord, Master, Sir. But when you see him walking on water, and when they see him say, before Abraham was, I am. And when they see him say, in the middle of the storm, be of good cheer, I am. And you see that revelation of him revealing himself as the I am of the Old Testament. All of a sudden, Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come on the water. That word Lord is that Jehovah. He said, Jehovah, if you're really the I am, if it's really you, bid me to come on the water. And Jesus said, come. And when he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water, he began to sink. And when he began to sink, he began to drown. And when he began to drown, uh, he said, he said, Lord, save me again, Jehovah. Jehovah, save me and Jehovah who is our Savior which is what the name Jesus means he immediately reached down his hands and picked him up and Peter came out of the water with the revelation that it wasn't just the Messiah that it wasn't just the divine there was something there was God Almighty that has come to walk among us Amen. That's why two chapters later when he said, who do men say that I am? That's why Peter could say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Because he just had an encounter experiencing God in his, in his power and authority, pulling him up out of the water. I feel like preaching on this for a second. Can I tell you the early church would not have survived the first 10 years in the first century, listen, if there wasn't one God. If Jesus was not Jehovah, the early church would not have survived the first 10 years after its birth in Acts 2. Because Rome, it was different as it is now because with us, it's whatever's new that's trendy. Right? But in the time of Rome, it was whatever's the oldest that's trendy. It wasn't what was new. It was what was the oldest, what they believed had the most authority. Listen. And so the Jewish religion, Judaism, was approved by Rome. But any new religions that tried to come in Rome, they stamped out as a threat to their empire. Oh, Lord. And so when Acts 2 takes place and the Holy Ghost is poured out, the only reason why Rome allowed them to continue preaching 
was that they said this isn't a new religion. We have the same God of the Jews. We just believe that that one God came in the flesh and lived and died and was buried and rose again. And that's why Rome was willing to deal with Christianity because they saw it as an off branch or an offshoot of Judaism because it was the same God. But they just believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they were waiting for. If they would have presented him as a second God, Christianity doesn't last. But because they presented it as there's only one God, they said, that's important that's important everybody say one God look at the precedent when God presents himself to man really if you look at it at Elohim is this helping anybody okay amen all right all right praise God all right here it is uh, when you look at this this precedent in, in Genesis 1, God is mentioned as Elohim, which speaks to the majestic uh, power of God, which speaks to the transcendent nature of God, which speaks to the multiple attributes that, that, that God has. But I want to show you how everything is going against the norm of the day. Because in verse 2 it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Everywhere in the Enuma Elish, in the Gilgamesh epic, in the Atrasis, uh, what do you call that? Epic. No, no, I said Gilgamesh. Uh, it's another one. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, Atrahasis. Okay, all right. We'll look at that later, amen. Everywhere in those writings, I want you to get this. When you saw chaos and emptiness, they all believed in this popular religions of the day that chaos and emptiness were the Forces that were working against the effectiveness of their false gods. They believed chaos and emptiness to be the main forces that worked against their god. There were, these were the main antagonists against the false gods. This is what they believed. But notice that when God says... The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That God doesn't present chaos and emptiness as antagonists. He, he introduces them as servants. He doesn't show them as antagonists to his will. He shows them as facilitators of his will. You got to catch this. I'm about to run in this place, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm, try I'm trying to hold it in. It's the morning. It's the morning time. It's the morning. Um, he shows them as facilitators of his will. And he sets a precedent that any time there's chaos, there's something new that's about to take place. 
There's a shift about to take place. Anytime there's chaos in your life or in the world, it means that God is about to do something. God is about to open a door. God is about to do something in a new way. Chaos. Chaos. Chaos, it is. God doesn't need it all together to get a miracle out of your life. God doesn't need to have the, 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 the T's crossed and the I's dotted for you to have a ministry. He doesn't need you to be perfect. Come on, somebody, for him to do something deep in you. He thrives in moving in chaos. And when you see chaos in your world and chaos in your life, it's time for you to start rejoicing because God's about to make a new creation right out of the pain and the he uses chaos and emptiness as facilitators of his will. Watch this, as precursors to his word. Uh, that, that somehow, somehow in chaos, somehow uh, it, it has a way of provoking uh, and making a raw moment uh, for God's word to come in. Uh, nothing can stop God's word from coming in. Uh, the chaos uh, and the emptiness, he moves in it. Uh, and he moves in the darkness. Everyone say the darkness. The darkness, it says that the darkness that he moved I want to read that. I want to read that. That the darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness is the face of your next level. Darkness is the face of the deep. Right before you go deeper, the first thing you encounter is darkness. And it doesn't mean you're going backward. It means you're going forward. It means you're about to press through something. It means that you're getting closer to a word from God. It means... It's the face. It's the face. It's the face of the deep. That's the first thing you'll encounter before you go deep is darkness. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact... Uh, man is more attracted to space because there's light up there. There's stars. That's why we know more about space than we do the ocean. Because the light doesn't penetrate that deep. 80% of the ocean is undiscovered. But we will spend billions of dollars to go out there than to explore what's down here. It's more costly to go deep than to go high. Y'all gonna throw me out of here this morning. Darkness is the face of the deep. See, some, some of y'all stop trying to go deep because you get scared of the darkness. Every time I start getting deep, I start battling loneliness. And so, you, and, so, and so you try to reduce yourself to mediocrity, although you know you don't belong there. So now you got this inner frustration. Every time you get serious, something goes out of control. 
And so you're like, I'm not really, so here it is. I'm not going to pray too much. I don't want to agitate the devil. But now you're, now you're disappearing in the crowd and you're feeling mediocre. And, you, and so you, get, you have this inner desire to really break through. Come on, I'm talking to somebody in here. But you're scared to just break through the darkness. See, darkness is not a hindrance. Darkness is an asset. As a matter of fact, the Jews, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to, get to this. I, can I take my time here? I'm, I'm almost, okay. I, I, the Jews define night as the transition point to a new day. Anytime you're in darkness, it just means you're in transition. It's the transition point to a new day. I want you to imagine with me. Today is March 25th, 2022, right? I want you to imagine with me for 10 and a half years from this point, 10 and a half years, imagine with me you don't see darkness for 10 and a half years. In ten and a half years, if you don't see darkness one time, in ten and a half years, it will still be March 25th, 2022. Because darkness didn't come. And it is the night that transitions to the new. And in the new, there's new mercy. So if I never see night, I never see new mercy. But it is the night that transitions me to a mercy that I've never seen before, to an anointing that I've never experienced before, to an authority that I've never laid hold of before. Everyone say, everyone say the night. Amen. The night is what helps you to be grateful for the light. You see, your eyes are trained that if they were to turn off all the lights in here, put blinds over the windows and everything, it would be dark temporarily. But your eyes are designed in such a way that it can extract light while surrounded by darkness. Your cornea, your iris, your people, those things are trained to find light out of the little crevices. You ever notice that when it's pitch black, it's like it's black, and all of a sudden your eyes would have to get adjusted. Because somewhere in the night you found some light. And darkness, this dark seasons help us to be grateful. The dark seasons help us to be grateful. You know what? I'm just glad I got money to come to college. 
I'm just glad that God gave me a job in the middle of a pandemic to still work and come to school. Come on, somebody. You start getting thankful for the little things. You start getting thankful for the things that annoy you. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all have a boss that agitate the mess out of you. But when you go through a night season, you say, you know what? He's agitating. But I just thank God I got a little money to go to the coffee shop. Y'all not hearing me out there. To go and just spoil myself. Come on, somebody. Just sit in the night season. It teaches gratefulness. Okay. The darkness, it's a transition point. Every, every time. So don't, don't try to abort the night. I ain't messing. Uh-uh, that, that's too deep. I, that hurt too much. You go through a night season, and you're like, there, there, there's a breakup, or there's a, there's a, there's a trial, or there's happening at your, something happened at your home church, or your family's getting divorced. You're in the middle of that, and you say, you know what? I should have never tried coming to Bible college because I knew something like this would happen when I get deep. But if you will persevere through the night. <laughs> There's new mercy on the other side of this darkness. There's a new and fresh anointing coming on the other side of this darkness. You have to go through these things, listen, to make your messages effective. I've never seen an effective message or an effective messenger that never went through something. If it was, more, if it was just uh, X's and O's and getting it right, everybody uh, should be able to be a great preacher with the concepts you heard from Brother Coulthorpe and Brother McClintock. Everybody should be able to be a great preacher. But some people are unwilling to survive the night. And it is the night that brings the light out of the message. It is the pain that brings the power out of them. Come on, somebody. It is the life lived. It is the life lived that separates effective messages from ineffective messages. Because if you're not living in accordance to what you're preaching, come on somebody. People are going to look at you like that, look. I'll just give a playful example so it's not going to be too convicting here, okay? I'm going to do a playful <laughs> It's like, <laughs> I'm going to do a playful example, okay? It, it's like you. It's like you getting up and preaching a poetic masterpiece on why you shouldn't drink coffee. When on my way to service, I saw you in that long line at Starbucks. <laughs> and, I, and I saw you taking a sip of that pumpkin spice latte, that pumpkin cream cold brew, and now you get up with pumpkin on your breath. <laughs> Say, here's my conviction. We shouldn't drink coffee, y'all. No matter how poetic and beautiful you said it, no matter how many convincing evidences you presented, 
if your life was not in accordance to what you declared, it is ineffective. But if we can live the life, come on, if we can walk according to his word, that is the birthplace of power, that is the birthplace of effectiveness. Amen. Does this make sense? See, I made it playful, so that's a little bit more comfortable, right? I'm not going to bring it home. I'm going to leave that one there. Okay, I'm going to bring it home. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Amen. You know, everybody got that face. They, they got to act like they don't get it. Like, I don't know, do you? I don't know. The birthplace of a sermon is when you go through the chaos in your life, when you go through the emptiness in your life, when you go through the darkness in your life, that those things push you toward his word. And when it pushes you toward his word, all of a sudden, you're not just declaring it. It's a part of the fabric of who you are. Meaning what you preach, it's you live it every day without even thinking about it. That you wouldn't preach it if you didn't live it. Because if, if, you're, not, if you're not living it, everybody going to know you're not living it. Because you know what? Because it will be shallow. Think about Jesus teaching on the seashore, and I, I love this because this ministers to me so, so well. I love the word of God. Jesus is teaching on the seashore. Multitudes are all around him, and he's teaching on a boat by the seashore. The, he can't even be on the seashore. He's in the boat by the water teaching as the multitudes are coming. And then the Bible says that they took him even in that same boat, and when they took him, the Bible says that a storm arose. And the lesson is, the same boat that you teach in is the same boat you endure in. What you expound, you will experience. What you teach in the day, you will endure in the night. And God will never give you so much revelation that he doesn't equalize it with experience. And he'll never give you so much experience that he doesn't equalize it with revelation. It's, it's a divine balance. It's the thing that keeps you in change. The minute you start getting arrogant, you're like, man, my God, I'm preaching like, hey! Like, man, I got it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I got it. How, how was that chapel? Like, man, I, hey, <laughs> yeah, so I brought out the Greek there, and I, yeah, brought out the Hebrew, yeah, right, yeah, and, 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 and you're on that mountaintop, and then you get a phone call. Let me tell you what just happened. Are you getting it? There is an equal equalization that happens. 
But make sure you stay in a place of dependency when you're being his servant. These were the conditions. Chaos, emptiness, and darkness were the conditions. Here it is. Before the first word from God ever was uttered. The first message. The, the, uh, the, the heavens as his pulpit. The galaxies put at his attention. Everything stood as attention as God gave the first word. Let there be light. What's the birthplace of the message? Here it is. Why was it let there be light? Here it is. The first message was an exemplifying what he was. Chaos, darkness, and emptiness were the raw place to release what he was. So notice he didn't give something he wasn't. He gave what he was. Let there be light. That's the birthplace of a message. It, it, it starts right here. It starts, you don't even realize you're living your message right now. Right now, your current life determines the effectiveness of your next message. Not thank God for study. We're going to study. We're going we're gonna to teach that. We're, it, that's, all, that's all incredibly important. Please watch the videos uh, of, of everything that's happened in this pulpit conference uh, with these amazing speakers. Uh, but if you never get the life, uh, if you never get it here, uh, you're just, you can apply all that and be sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. But if you can get a love deep down in your spirit, if you can get a commitment and a devotion deep down in your heart, I'm going to live it in private. I'm going to live it in the night seasons. I'm going to live it in the mountain. I'm going to live it in the valley. I'm going to live it. And when I live it, there is a conviction behind the message. He said, first message ever. Here it is. First message ever. This is where we get our blueprint. Let there be light. What I'm giving you is what I exemplify. What I'm giving you is what I am. And every time I get in that pulpit, you can never give apart from what you are. Let there be light. What, what else did he say? Let, let there be what? Life. In him was light. In him was life. And he just released it. And that's why the Bible says that his Godhead is plainly seen by nature. You can look at his creation and get a revelation that there's only one God. Because he made it plainly seed, seen. Why? Because he created it. What you produce testifies of what you are. What you produce 
testifies of what you are. What did he say? You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. A good tree doesn't bring bad fruit. And a bad tree doesn't bring good fruit. So we got to ask what fruit is going to come forth of our ministries. It's not going to come by how masterfully we declare the word. It's about how much commitment we do in living his word. If you have the commitment, you can get up and preach the most simple message that's ever been heard. And tears will flow down the eyes of every person. And there'll be a conviction in their heart because you're preaching what you're living. I've done it before. I had a message of just, I I had a message ready and prepared for a service. And right before the service, the Lord said, that ain't it. Oh, help me, Lord. Don't you hate when God, you know, uh-uh. Like, can you bless it, Lord? I ain't touching that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, look, all you need to talk about <laughs> is just rejoice. God, can you give me some revelation behind that? No. Just talk about rejoicing. Okay, rejoice, rejoice, all right, rejoice. <laughs> Let's hear. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. <laughs> I mean, he's switching up like, I, I'm about to preach in five minutes. And, <laughs> and you know when it's just one scripture that short, you know, you got to repeat it like three times. You just rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. I'll read that again for you. Uh, I don't know if y'all heard this. Uh, <laughs> rejoice. <laughs> and again, I say rejoice. So I say, yes, I want you to read that. And I want you to talk about a dark time that I brought you through. I want you to talk about that abuse that you went through and how I healed you in it and gave you your joy back. Okay, I did that. I shared that. Simple message, no revelation, just a story. Simple message. I preached maybe 15 minutes. Deaf ears started opening up. Blinded eyes started opening. There were 30 people that came up one by one to the platform where they said, where's, where's the pain? It's right here. They said, everybody, stretch forth your hands. In the name of Jesus, right there, blinded eye open. All right, next. Over 30 people healed just like that. And there's been other times 
where I preached one of the most masterful messages in my mind. And I'm talking about it wasn't the timing for it. And there was nothing. You know you're in trouble and you pr if you preach on healing and nothing happens. That happens at the See, I wasn't expecting healing. I just obeyed because of what I live a life of obedience. If you learn to obey God in the small things, it's not, not a big deal to obey him behind a pulpit. See, in your life, it is the testing ground of obedience. And if you live a life of obedience, when he says, hey, I want you to do this instead of this while you're up there, it's like, okay, Lord, you get the glory anyway. But I remember there was a time where God told me to preach a certain way. And I don't want to go into details into this because I don't want. Okay, I'll just say it one time. All right, okay, I'll do it. You got it in. You pulled it out of me. All right. <laughs> um, basically, there was a time I was, I was inhaling like so much of the word and just getting in the word, just reading the Bible through, just in it deep, 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 deep. But then there came a moment where there was uh, a conference and this was in um, beginning, uh, I believe it was uh, 2016. And the Lord said, hey, um, I want you at this conference, I, I want you to preach without notes. And, you know, when you hear something like that, you, you, you want to pretend like you didn't hear it. You know, you're like, oh, God, I worship you. <laughs> and so I pretended like I didn't hear it. And I got up because this is a conference. I'm like, okay, I mean, God ain't going to ask that of me. Got to this conference. I got my, got my little bullet points out. Man, I started preaching, and I'm not kidding. It, it, it was like the Spirit of God left me. Like the, the anointing lifted off of me. I, I was stammering. I was jittery. I was. I lost my edge. I, I was. I was. I felt like a covering was gone. And I was. And I was like. I was doing that. And this. It was masterful. And people were like. Ugh. I mean. I think somebody answered the phone in the back. Hello. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing up there either. <laughs> I think he's trying to preach. I don't know what is his title. I'm not kidding. People was falling asleep. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, God. I was like, let me turn these notes over. Amen. Look, I'll throw the notes out. As soon as I put the notes out, the anointing came back. Because it wasn't about how eloquent I was. It was about how obedient I was. Are you getting that? Are you getting that? So, so even if you prepared something very eloquent, if the day before God says, no, you need to do this, and it's simple, you know why? It's because it's not about how you feel. It's about what the people need. And somebody just needs a message that, that says, don't give up. But you got a message called the anthropology of the... The theology and the commitment behind hallucinations. 
somebody just need to, so somebody is about to go and commit suicide after chapel. And they need somebody that can obey a word that says, look, this is all I got. This is what God gave me the day before. I had something more prepped for you. But here's what the Lord told me to tell you. Don't you dare give up. And something so simple with the conviction and obedience can change the trajectory of somebody's life. but it's a life of obedience. I've gone, I've gone 41 minutes. I'm sorry. Is this helpful? So I want to show you how right now where your life is, everything that's happened in your life is in preparation for your next message. Every message you, that you birth will come out of the season that you're in right now. I love the word of God because it ministers to where you are. If you're a Bible quizzer, how many of y'all did Bible quizzing? Raise a hand. If you're a Bible quizzer and you were a Bible quizzer for so many years and one of your scriptures were one of the Psalms where it says, you know, children's are the arrow of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. You know that word. You can quote it. You've memorized it. Watch this. But when you're 75 years old and you've got 20 grandkids and you read that same word, a tear comes down your eye. Because of where the word fits in your life at that time. There is a, there is a woven fabric that happens. It's like it grows up with you. And when you're going through, I remember going through one of the roughest battles of my life after uh, I gave up my scholarships and gave up everything and I was so lonely and in the battle. And I remember I went to the Psalms and when I went to the Psalms and hearing David cry out, where are you, God? God, why have you forsaken me? And I read those Psalms. I'd have tears come down my eyes because that word was a rhema. It was a word in season to my spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm receiving, because I'm receiving it according to my season, I'm receiving the engrafted word. Now, I carry that word with me everywhere. Now, I can, I can step into an airplane. I could step into a coffee shop. I can step in somebody's battling with something similar that I went through. That word's a part of me. And in that coffee shop, I found my pulpit. In that airplane, I found a pulpit. A pulpit is anywhere there's another person. And I gave it to them. So that's what happened with Bible studies. And that's what happened. I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I just want to. I just want to bring it home to you that I remember whenever I was on college campus and doing Bible studies every week and doing Bible studies every week, the youth group 
we would always announce our, our Bible study there. So this is like 09, 2010. I'm just getting my start in ministry. <sighs> I remember they'd say, all right, who's going to be the one that goes and lets people know that we have Bible study in room 110? Everybody was nervous. And it'd just be the same two people every time. And I remember when it was my turn, what we would do is we would go into the cafeteria while everybody's walking around eating and say, Hello, can I have your attention? We have a Bible study going on in room 110. We have snacks. We have food. If you want to learn about Jesus, come meet us in room, one, one, room 110. And then get down, go, and then you just wait around your Capri Suns. That was my start. I want to show you something here. That was my start. We would do that every now and again. Well, all of a sudden, I started evangelizing years later. That's 09, 2010. I started evangelizing years later. Now, it's 2014 in November. There's just been a shooting at Florida State University. At this time, I'm the campus coordinator for the Florida District. And I, we had campus ministries on that campus. We had a campus ministry on that campus with campus ministers there that were there during the shooting. The shooting took place in a library. And I found out two of our campus ministers were in the library while this shooter, while this gunman was shooting. I wept and cried. Tallahassee was three hours away from my home. I started driving there because God told me I need to go and pray and get the campus ministers together and pray. I was so scared that one of the campus ministers was hurt and harmed. I heard people got killed. I went there. I drove. And on the way, they said, yes, two campus ministers were in, in the library when the shooting happened. But they weren't harmed. They hid under desks. But the shooter was killed and other people were wounded. I got to Tallahassee. And when I got to Tallahassee, when I got to FSU, you could hear a pin drop. The whole place was quiet. When I got there, there were well over 20, 30 news reporters with caution tape behind the library with their cameras fixed. There was about 500 kids standing off in the distance silent. We were trying to find a place to pray me and about 15 to 20 campus ministers. We went in the middle of that thing to pray. And you know what I did? What I did years prior, early in my ministry, before I ever preached a word, I said, hey, can I have your attention? We're going to have prayer in this place. And the shooter's not going to get the glory for what happened here. There's peace in this place. Join with me. We're going to pray. Over 200 students gathered around us. About eight news reporters came and gathered around us. We prayed. Atheists wept. 
and the campus minister's arms. People wept. People were touched. It went all over the news. It was on all the major news stations. We were interviewed, bringing hope to, to that place in a crisis. Speaking of Jesus now, it's 2014. Listen, at the beginning of 2020, catch this. I know I went a little longer than I wanted to, but you got to catch this. At the beginning of 2020, January 2020, I preached the CMI National uh, Conference. It was in Urbana, Illinois. Something told me to share that story. I hadn't shared it not even one time since it happened. But I felt literally five years, over five and a half years later after that happened at FSU, I shared the story and I told the campus ministers, you got to come out of the corner. You got to come out of your rooms. You got to go in the middle where people are. And I shared the story of FSU. After I shared that story, this was January 2020, before everything shut down, a girl comes up to me. She says, I remember you. She said, I was a freshman at FSU. I'd never been to church. I never knew who God was. But I remember standing out in that crowd, and I heard you call us to come and pray. And she said, I came over to pray. She said, that was the first time in my life I ever felt the presence of God. She said less than a year later, she found an apostolic church. She was baptized in Jesus' name. She was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she said, I've been doing campus ministry. I'm a campus minister now. I said, and my whole theme of my message was step out. As the world spirals out of control, God's going to put his truth on display. That's what I preach. May 2020. The tragedy happens in Minneapolis. The whole world is divided. God speaks to me, go and preach my name in the middle of the crisis. Go and bring unity among everyone and show my love. I got in a car, drove six hours to Atlanta. That was the earliest flight out. Got to Minneapolis at 10 a.m. Thousands of people in the streets. Went to the place where the tragedy happened. When I went to the place where the tragedy happened, Thousands of people from all nationalities were all gathered there. What did I do? Your life becomes the message. I did what I've always done. Can I have your attention? We're going to have prayer. I believe there's still hope here. Everyone gather together. Everyone gather together. I said, clap your hands to the Lord. Everyone clap their hands to the Lord. I said, lift up your hands. The power of God is about to come. They lifted up their hands. They began to weep. The next day, people got baptized in Jesus' name right there in the streets. Uh, they did it for weeks. They, they had services for a month. There was not another riot that took place in that area. What am I saying? So when did I have the faith? Did it happen in 2020 when I went to Minneapolis? Or did it happen not even one year in church? Saying, can I have your attention for the first time? 
what I'm preaching to you is what you are, you will, what you are now is the preparation for the message that you're going to preach and the message you're going to live. Your life is a message. And that's the birthplace of a sermon. Living it out. And when you're living out everywhere you speak, no matter how simple it is, there's going to be something powerful that takes place. But you got to take a commitment to live it and walk it and obey it now. Can everybody stand with me? Musicians can come. I apologize for going longer than I wanted to. But I wanted to bring this home. That if you start obeying and you start applying these principles right now, that God's going to give you a word. And that's what makes you unique. What makes you unique is no one has your story. You don't have to preach anyone else's message. No one has your story. Only you can preach a scripture with, with your story, with your life. No one else has your, has your parents. No one else has, has your background. But that's what may, how you make a message unique to you. Is to preach it from here. That's the birthplace of a sermon. Can you lift up your hands in this place right now? And can you make a commitment to live it out? Come on. God, I want to live it out. Come on, that's it. From the front to the back. You make your way forward. Keep praying. Come on, there's room up here. Keep praying. There's a word that's coming out of your chaos. Come on. You can find a place to kneel. You can find a place to stand. But it's time to make a commitment. There's a word that's coming out of this chaos. This chaos, this darkness, this emptiness you've been feeling. There's a proclamation that's going to come out of it. But you've got to live this. You've got to live this. You've got to walk this. Elamo hosanda la la boko sanda la la boko taya.